I want to be part of something big. Ten, nine, eight, a meaningful seven, project six, on a global scale. Five, main engine ignition, all three inches up and burning. Two, one, and liftoff of the space shuttle Atlantis. I applied to become an astronaut. Houston's now controlling. Atlantis is rolling on course. My name is Judith Sulaidi. I'm currently a professor in computational astrophysics. I'm 33 years old, and I'm applying to becoming an ESA astronaut. And I'm Jennifer Kakshuri, the captain of this episode. We're gazing into the sky, imagining what space might look like, and talking about people's dreams to go there one day. The European Space Agency is currently recruiting astronauts, and maybe Judith will be one of them. The dream of leaving the Earth's atmosphere came true for my other guest in this episode. I'm Claude Nicolier. I'm a Swiss citizen. I have been an astrophysicist and a pilot in the Air Force. I had a passion for space, for stars, and for airplanes since young age. And uh, studied physics in Lausanne, astrophysics in Geneva, became an astrophysicist with a fighter pilot in the Swiss Air Force as a side activity for a long time. And uh, eventually, when it became possible for Europeans to become astronauts, I signed up for it, and I was accepted in the first group of ESA, ESAs for European Space Agency astronauts, in 1978, a long time ago. That's what Judith would like to achieve as well. So I wanted to be an astrophysicist since I was 13 years old. And this is what I'm doing now. So that was my first dream. And when it came true, I started to strive for new challenges, new dreams. And this is how it came to be that I wanted to try the astronaut selection as well. And in your childhood, was there like something like a key moment that you somehow got the idea that you were drawn to the stars? Well, as a child, I was really into sciences. And when I started to watch science fiction, this is when I became interested into stars and planets. And I started to study things on the internet, what I could about astrophysics. And this is how I fell in love with, with astronomy and astrophysics. And what science fiction was this? I really liked the Star Trek Voyager. It had a female captain, and that was a good role model for me. Since right now. You're relieved. Captain, what are you doing? I'm running a little experiment of my own. Red alert! Star Trek Voyager lasted for seven seasons. It's the only Star Trek series with a female captain. This says a lot regarding equality in this field, not only on screen, but also for real, in Europe at least. Actually, ESA is explicitly looking for female astronauts and people with disabilities. In other words, ESA wants more diversity and inclusion. It's usually the minorities in specific fields, such as women, people of color, or queers, who have to defend diversity. I decided to turn this around while talking to Claude Nicolier. You studied astrophysics and were a fighter pilot in the Swiss Army, as you said, Would you have had the same career had you been a woman? Astrophysics, certainly, yes. Uh, in fact, uh, astrophysics is a field of science where there are many women, uh, generally speaking, especially in France. I think there are even more women than men being astrophysicists. A uh, fighter pilot uh, was not possible at that time for women. It is now. The fact that I was a fighter pilot was a plus for me, but it was not at all a requirement. 
I remember during the interviews for the selection, uh, they asked me uh, a number of questions about situation I had been in danger in my life where I had to manage risk. And there were a number of situations as a fighter pilot where I had to manage risk more so than as an astrophysicist. <laughs> and uh, in a way, you don't have to be a pilot. Uh, again, it's not a requirement. If you are, it's a plus. If you are doing scuba diving, if you are parachute jumping, if you are a mountain climber, activities where you have to manage risks, it's a plus in the selection. There's no doubt about that. Had Claude been Claudine, he would not have been the first astronaut of Switzerland. Today, the path to becoming an astronaut seems more open than before. Still, experience in dealing with risky situations is a plus. Did Judith ever jump with a parachute or climb vertical mountain walls? No, I, I personally do not have such experience, but I'm really good swimmer. And that is also uh, very much counting because you have to be able to do a diving test up to eight hours per day, being underwater and mimicking this microgravity environment and swimming and, and snorkeling and scuba diving. This is something I do already. So I, I did this part, I would say. So are you a fearless person? I'm not sure that this is true, that nothing uh, scares me, but definitely I think I have a quite resilient personality in comparison to others. So I would say that less things scare me than an average person would be scared. Claude traveled to space all in all four times. Even though he's retired, Claude is still an ambassador for the ESA. What does it take in the highly competitive astronaut selection to be one of the lucky ones. You have to be as normal as possible. What does that mean? <laughs> Which means that in the whole selection, they try to find uh, areas where you are not normal. And then if you are abnormal in too many areas, then you are not going to make it. If you are normal mentally and uh, physically and in your motivation, then you're going to make it. And I know it may seem strange because it seems like the selection is very hard and finally we only have a few who, who make it. But it is the case. If you are very normal, you're going to make it. But I mean, if you're normal, then you don't even make it to the first round, I would assume. I mean, I would consider myself normal, but I would never have the idea to apply to become an astronaut. Well, in a way, you have to be abnormally normal. <laughs> you must be in pretty good shape physically. I wish that it was more normal than it is. Unfortunately, many people suffer from some some medical problem. It can be in the eye or other, other features, which is such that they're not going to make it. And uh, in terms of your mental position, the way you address issues and problems, you have to, to have a pretty clear mind and uh, have a goal and uh, work toward the solution of the problem. And I find this pretty normal. And also the idea of having a passion, that I, this I find pretty normal also. It can be a passion for, for butterflies, a passion for race cars, it can be passion. I had passion for astrophysics and I don't know where it came from, but I had this in me. I had a passion for stars and for airplane, the devouring passion. And it was this double passion that helped me get where I eventually went. But passion is pretty normal, I think. And the ones who have no passion, I find it abnormal. When I talk to Judith, I tell her what Claude just said. She laughs and answers 
Honestly, this is a surprising statement for me. I think astronauts are very special people, I would say so. Maybe he meant that having such a personality, which is very approachable, who can communicate well with the media, with kids uh, doing outreach, I, I would assume this is what he meant. But otherwise, I think astronauts have to be up for the challenge in terms of physical challenges, in terms of stressful situations. So I wouldn't say that astronauts are everyday people. I think he's just a modest personality and he doesn't want to show off like that he's humble or that he doesn't think of himself as a glamorous person. Although, of course, there's a lot of glamour if you look from the outside, if you look from, let's say, uh, everyday regular people's point of view. Well, I think that arrogant people wouldn't be good team workers. And because as an astronaut, you have to be good in teamwork. Therefore, I, I believe that this type of behaviors are, are not really good for astronauts. That's why I think that humbleness is, is a useful attribute for an astronaut. And I do believe that astronauts are usually humble people because they are the good team workers. I mean, you cannot you cannot be six months long with an arrogant person personality, you would drive each other crazy. So I do believe that this is definitely a personality trait which an astronaut should have to be humble. What does Judith think it takes to be selected to become an astronaut? You have to combine a lot of different skill set. You have to be able to perform in a very stressful environment. You have to be able to make decisions, even in, in life and death situations. You have to be extremely fit, both mentally and physically. You have to be a good team worker, but also a good manager. You have to be good in outreach. You have to be good in, in sciences. So it combines a lot of different skill sets, and, and it's really a huge challenge to becoming an astronaut. Only very few people can be, right? Because it's such a complex skill set that you need to becoming an astronaut. And so for me, it's like a good challenge to try to tackle. Judith lives in Switzerland now. She's worked in several countries before. Judith grew up in Hungary, worked in France, moved to the US, and was a research assistant studying planet formation from space telescope data at NASA. Regarding diversity and inclusion, Europe is lagging behind North America. When I was working for NASA, there were so many women there. I, I don't know the official number, but it felt like it was 40% women or so. And there were people with disabilities, there were underrepresented minority backgrounds, uh, there were people of color and so on. And at ESA and in Europe in general, you don't see that yet, unfortunately. So I think it's really time that ESA and in Europe in general, we are striving for more diversity. This is a very important thing. But because only diverse teams can work well. And can you tell us about what NASA does to keep up with diversity? Like they don't just employ 40% women and people of color, but they really, they really work hard. Yes. So for example, when I was working for NASA, we had yearly training on anti-sexual harassment. So there was a course you had to follow, then make an exam. And only then you could keep your contract or renew your contract. I think this would be, for example, something very beneficial what ESA and in general European institutes could do in order to increase diversity and inclusivity in the field and discourage unprofessional behaviors. Up to now, we've talked a lot about the who and how. I want to hear 
what my guest's relationship to the planet and the stars actually is. Claude, please describe what it is way up there in the stars. What's your fondest memory when you think back? Oh, there are so many. Well, the first one that came for me, one of the greatest moments was when with my gloved hands, I was able to touch Hubble and to hold the handrail at the bottom of the Hubble Space Telescope. Hubble has always meant so much for me. Big telescopes in general, but Hubble in particular, of course. And when 600 kilometers above the Earth's surface at 28,000 kilometers an hour outside of uh, our spaceship uh, Discovery uh, in December 1999, on the 23rd of December 1999, two days before Christmas, I was able to hold Hubble with my hands and then uh, work with tools in order to exchange the main computer or do brain surgery on Hubble. And at the same time, you do this in an environment that is unbelievable. The black sky, the earth under you that moves rapidly. When the sun rises, it rises in about 20 seconds. So you go from night to day in about 20 seconds. The same for sunsets. You go from day to night in 20 seconds. It's always fascinating. And of course, if you like sunrise and sunset, that's the best job because you have 16 in one terrestrial day. Sometimes we were stopping to work, looking down. Wow, this is Egypt. And this is the Red Sea. And this is uh, the Nile floodplain. And this is the Nile Delta, the Gulf of Aqaba, the Gulf of Suez. Wow. And we're already about uh, over the Gulf states. And um, five minutes later, we're over India. It is amazing. So in a sense, you had a biblical view on our planet. Did looking at our planet from so far away change your attitude to our world, to the world that we're living in? Oh, yes. You know, you see the, the world or our planet as a, a, a unity. All the places are connected. Uh, when you are on, on the Earth's surface, uh, you, you see such a small area around you. And, uh, you know, you have your city, you have maybe your canton in Switzerland, and you have your country, maybe your continents. But up there, you, you go from continent to the next, from country to the next in such a short time. You have, a, for me, the feeling of a unity of planet Earth is, is, was very, very, very strong. And of course, it's a good feeling. Uh, that would be a place to bring politicians also, the one who run world affairs. The world is a, is a very small, fragile place, very beautiful. While Claude looked down on planet Earth, Judith and I spoke about what she sees and especially how she feels when she looks up into the sky in a place like the Atacama Desert in Chile. Tranquility, really restful and really calm. I really like to see the stars, the Milky Way, the extra galaxies. And this was one of my first true moments when I really knew I really want to be an astronomer when I was in Chile in a telescope network when I was 18 years old. And I saw such a nice sky that you cannot see anywhere else because of the light pollution. And I really saw the Milky Way horizon to horizon. I saw the dark clouds in it with naked eye. I saw extra galaxies such as the Magellanic Clouds. And I was like, yeah, this is really what I want to do with my future. So that was a very powerful moment for me. Judith also wants the perspective from way up in the sky. So when did you decide to apply for the ESA astronaut job opening? 
Well, as you know, these astronaut job openings only happen once in uh, quite a couple of years. So the previous time I was too young to even apply, but I was already thinking, hmm, once I will be old enough to apply, then I might try. So it really became, I think, roughly 10 years ago when I worked for NASA and met a lot of NASA astronauts and work in that kind of environment that I really decided, hmm, this is a very interesting challenge and it's so fascinating to be in the space. Plus, I'm an astrophysicist who is studying how the solar system came to be. So for me, even for scientifically, it's a very thrilling experience to look at our planet from the space and and making such uh, experiments on the space station, which can bring us closer to understand how our planet and how the solar system came to be. So that was also another reason why I really wanted to become an astronaut, because it's really fitting into my research field as well. We will see if Judith makes it to space. I hope so for her. I'd love to hear her thoughts on what it's like looking at our planet from up in the air. Claude said the planet Earth seems small and one from a distance. I guess the concept of borders and countries is obsolete from such a distance. Also, the world of researchers is international, speaking about borders. But maybe you remember Claude's introduction? I'm Claude Nicolier. I'm a Swiss citizen. I have been an astrophysicist and a pilot in the Air Force. Claude is the first and up to now only Swiss astronaut. Judith is Hungarian by passport and works at the ETH. Hungary, like Switzerland, is a small country and has only one cosmonaut so far. What country is Judith actually applying for? They ask for the passport, and my passport is Hungarian, which is an ESA member state, so that's completely fine. You can apply for the ESA astronaut selection. I do have a permanent residence in Switzerland, and I assume that by the time I would get to the final selection, that might be possible to obtain also a Swiss nationality. But I think that my first nationality counts for now, which is Hungarian. If you should really hit the jackpot and become an astronaut, if ESA chooses you, would that end your academic career and would it be worth it? Well, I mean, I do not have a permanent position right now in academia. I'm a non-tenure tech assistant professor, so who knows whether I'm going to have an academic career. Secondly, as an ESA astronaut, most of the time you are in reserve. That means that you are not an active member and you can have another job as well. So I don't think that it's really limiting you. And plus, I think it's, it's really cool to be an astronaut. I don't think that that would be a loss per se. It's just a different job also relating to the stars and planets, which I like. I'm not going to apply to become an astronaut. I rather produce podcasts together with Thies Wachter's Audio Story Lab and Luki Fretz. My name is Jennifer Kakshuri. I'm the host of the ETH podcast. Thanks for tuning in.